Every time I look up, it seems, I see someone else wearing a bow tie. And I'm going to have to get myself one, it, it appears. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ, who in obedience to You came and uh, suffered and, and bled and died for us, um, even though we are sinners. Help us to love Him. Help us to uh, know that we love Him. We pray in His name. Amen. So I want to begin this morning by asking you a couple of questions. Questions that you should answer in your heart because they are very important questions. First question is, do you love Jesus Christ? And then secondly, if you do love Jesus, how do you know that you love Him? I'm not asking if you feel like you love Jesus. I'm not asking if you think you love Jesus. I'm not even asking you if you sense a love for Jesus in your heart. I'm asking, how do you really know that you love Jesus Christ? Your place in eternity depends on your answer to those questions. It is very important that you have a real clear answer to these two questions. Jesus said many times in His preaching that most people who call upon Him do not really know Him. He said that most people who call themselves Christians are not really Christians at all. This is the point of His teaching uh, in the parable of the narrow gate and the wide gate or the illustration that He used of the narrow gate and wide gate. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 13 and 14. In your pew Bibles is page 812. I don't normally ask you to uh, go to different passages of Scripture. So uh, this is a not-so-subtle alert that I believe that this is a very important passage of Scripture for you to, uh, to think about and dwell upon uh, for your own spiritual benefit. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, or those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. John MacArthur likened the narrow gate to a person trying to go through a, a, a narrow turnstile uh, with several pieces of luggage. Um, MacArthur likened these pieces of luggage to worldliness, sin, self. So can you imagine trying to go through these narrow turnstiles, these turnstiles like you find at a ballpark or at Disney World, with, with these big suitcases, 
well, it would be impossible to make it through. And it's a great illustration because Jesus is saying that it is impossible for you to make it into heaven unless you go through that narrow gate where you it is so narrow that you have to drop your worldliness and your sin, even yourself. This is what the Bible means by repentance. You cannot get into heaven without being changed. Jesus said that many people go through not the narrow gate, but through the wide gate. And the reason why they go through this wide gate is they don't have to drop anything. They can hop on the road with all their baggage of good works and self-righteousness and religious ceremonies. They don't need to drop anything. They They don't need to change anything. They don't need to repent. They just hop on the road and off they go. If you're still in Matthew 7, look at verse 14. Jesus said, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The Greek word uh, that's translated hard literally means compressed. In other words, Jesus is saying, you have to strip yourself of everything to go in through the narrow gate. Have you entered through the narrow gate? Or are you on the broad road that leads to destruction? Here's the interesting thing about this broad road. In Jesus' illustration, it leads to destruction, but it's not advertised that way. In other words, these are not a bunch of people hopping on the road to hell because they're saying, oh, I want to go to hell. I want to go to destruction. That's not what, what this broad road's all about. These people are getting on the broad road because they think that it leads to heaven. People prefer the broad road uh, because it doesn't require a change of life. It doesn't require repentance. You simply need to make a decision. Pray a prayer, uh, be baptized, whatever else, and you get a free ticket into heaven. The sad thing is, Jesus said many are on that road, but the way that leads to life is restrictive, it's compressed, it's narrow, and He says that few find it. Jesus consistently taught about the narrow way into salvation. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life uh, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. Luke 14, 33, Jesus said, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Can you see why most people who call upon the Lord Jesus end up on the road to destruction? They don't want the narrow way. Jesus said only a few find it. And so ask yourself, what road am I on? The Apostle Paul 
was insistent that we examine ourselves to make sure that we're really saved. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he said, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed you fail to meet the test? If you cling to worldliness, if you cling to your sin, if you cling to your self-righteousness, you are on the wrong road. You may think you're headed to heaven, and you may think that your good works will get you in, but sadly, on the day of judgment, you'll find that you are terribly mistaken. After Jesus used this illustration of the narrow gate and the the broad gate, um, He went on in Matthew 7, 21-23 to say, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many uh, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus' point is that many people won't discover that they were on the broad road until it's too late. So I renew my questions. Do you love Jesus Christ? And if so, how do you know that you love Jesus Christ? Well, let's look at our passage in John chapter 14, verse 15. The answer is stated clearly. Jesus says in verse 15, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. If you love Jesus, you will obey Him. Can Jesus be any clearer? When measured by His Word, our actions and our attitudes reveal our love for Christ. So we're not left to guess at our spiritual condition. If you love Jesus, you will obey Him. Why would Jesus make the make obedience the test of whether we love Him? The idea of obedience being a test of our love, doesn't that seem a bit emotionally cold? Why would this be the test? The reason our obedience is the test, and it's a very accurate test of our love for Him, is because Jesus is the Lord. The Greek word for Lord means that He's the boss. To relate to a boss necessarily involves obedience. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Creator. It's right and proper that He impose His will on His creation. It is right and proper that He impose His will on humanity. It is right and proper that we submit to Him in total obedience. He is the Lord. Psalm 2 is speaking of Christ when it says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, 
lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And the reason the psalmist speaks of the kings of the earth and the ruler or the kings and, and rulers of the earth submitting to King Jesus is because it's also implied that everybody else must submit to him as well. This idea of kissing him is being in submission to him. This idea of submission, this idea of obedience, they've become very unpopular in our culture. Uh, Even in the church, there's been a subtle move away from this idea of submitting to Christ's lordship. Christ's lordship has become increasingly optional in people's minds and thinking. And so that people uh, who take seriously this idea of, of submitting to Christ's commandments, well, they're considered as puritanical, sticks in the mud, if you will. Uh, they're considered legalistic. But Jesus put special emphasis on obedience to His commandments. Remember the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And we could turn to to maybe a hundred different passages where it talks about our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and how necessary it is Because He is the Lord. He is the boss. He is the King. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that anyone can earn their salvation by obedience. I don't want to give you the impression that obedience can save you. The Scriptures teach just the opposite. Someone asked me uh, last week about the grammar of, of John 14, verse 15. Whether it was a commandment or, or not. And it's not a commandment. He's not saying in verse 15, if you love me, you must keep my commandments. It's not a command here. It's rather in the future imperative in the grammar. Of course, we are commanded to obey His commandments. That's everything I've just said the whole uh, last ten minutes. But here is a future, uh, a future active. In other words, it's describing what will what your life will look like if you love Jesus Christ. If you love Him, your life will. You could describe your life by a life of obedience to Jesus. So he's describing uh, a future, uh, a future indicative, a future um, uh, description of your life if you love him. So we love him, and because we love him, we obey him. We don't obey him in order that we might be saved. Rather, we trust Him and we love Him and therefore we are obedient. It's it's impossible for us to be saved by our obedience because we are unable to obey Him. 
Uh, you know how the Apostle Paul says, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I hate, that's what I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. And that describes every Christian's experience. We're unable to obey Him. And, and certainly before we become Christians, we're dead in our sins. Dead person. Obey Jesus. It's impossible. Until God by His Spirit raises that person to, to life, to, raises them from spiritual death, gives them spiritual life. And when He does that, we then have this desire in our heart to trust Him, to love Him, and to obey Him. But it's God's work in us first. See, God must save us. Otherwise, we would never be able to save ourselves. 1 John 4.10 shows that it's God who takes the initiative. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be the one who directs God's wrath away from us because He directed it on His Son in our behalf. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved sinners that He gave His only begotten Son. And so God takes the initiative. God does the saving. And then He regenerates us. He draws us to Himself. He gives every Christian when He draws them to Himself and gives us faith in Christ. He gives to every Christian a deep, intense longing and yearning to please God, to do God's will, to walk in full obedience to His commandments. And this yearning might be stronger in some, in some than in others. Uh, it might be stronger in your own life at one point than it is at another point. But by definition... The Scriptures teach that every Christian will have this intense yearning, this intense desire to obey God and to walk in, in keeping with His commandments. Like David says in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your commandments! But it's also equally true that no Christian fully recognize or realizes these desires. If we're honest, we'll readily acknowledge that we, we have only very imperfectly kept uh, God's commandments. In fact, we've only imperfectly desired God Himself. But it breaks our hearts when we recognize that we haven't desired God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It breaks our hearts when we offend our Heavenly Father, when we offend Christ our Redeemer who gave Himself up for us. You struggle and fight against sin because you have been redeemed. One of the, 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 the questions that I get most frequently from people are, I'm, a, such, a, I'm such a sinner, I don't know if I'm saved. And my response 
is to ask them questions about their their uh, struggle with sin. And they say, oh, I hate my sin. I don't know why I continue to do it. And I say, praise the Lord. And they look at me kind of quizzically. Because they, they hate their sin shows that they love their Redeemer. The fact that they struggle with sin shows that they want to honor their God. That God has indeed um, saved them. And so it's, it's the person who doesn't have this struggle is the person who is without the Spirit of God. Uh, the person who doesn't struggle with their sins is the person who does not know Jesus Christ, does not love Him. Non-Christians don't struggle. They find ways to justify their sin. They may be sad for the effects of their sin, but they find ways to justify it. Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So, let me ask you. Do you struggle with sin? Or do you try to just get by? Are you different because you believe the gospel? Are you growing to be more like Christ and less like the world? In other words, do you love Him? Are you being obedient to His commandments? I want to make one more application, maybe two, before I close. There's a danger, as I mentioned earlier, in de-emphasizing the need to obey God's commandments and the, the, the need to, to uh, obey the commandments of Christ. Um, we can take it... If we, dis, if we de-emphasize the need for obedience, then we can take it for granted that we love Jesus when there's no evidence of our love for Him. Or when our obedience drops off. That means our love for Christ has cooled. But if we are not really thinking about obedience, if obedience is not important to us, we may not realize that our love for Him has cooled off. Or when we cut corners in our obedience to Christ and become morally careless, our spiritual life becomes dry. Our fellowship with God seems distant. And we have little spiritual assurance. And we wonder, why is this the case? Rather than being able to properly diagnose it, you know, I'm living in disobedience in this area of my life. Or I'm not really seeking to be obedient to Christ as I should and as I was earlier in my life. And if we're lax in our, in our need for obedience uh, to God, we don't understand why we're experiencing the dryness, why God seems distant. If there is a commandment... Um, of God that you do not relish, that you do not uh, desire, then that's a warning light to you that something's wrong in your heart that needs to be set straight. What specific commands of Christ have you been overlooking or ignoring 
that you need um, that you need to to obey Christ in. And then uh, finally, when we don't um, like some area of obedience. And we say, I'm not going to obey here. This shows a defect with our love for the Lord Jesus. So I want to encourage you. Seek after the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek after obedience to Him. Seek after His righteousness. And once you do, what you're going to find is, I can't do it. And then you begin thirsting for it. Lord, I can't. But then you remember His Gospel. Uh, John 15, verse 5, Without Him you can do nothing. And you say, Jesus, help me. And your prayer life begins to grow. Instead of uh, sliding almost imperceptibly into dryness, and into distance with God. Your, your, your faith begins to grow as you seek God in prayer and say, God, help me. I can't do it. I don't have the resources. I've proved it a thousand different times that I cannot be obedient to you. Help me, God. Help me. Help me. I want to pray for us right now. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every blessing, would help us. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have given us a redemption that is full and is also free, that we could never earn, that we could never deserve. But we thank You that You have also given us every resource to follow You and to love You and even to keep Your commandments. But, O oh Lord, those, those resources are not natural to ourselves. They come completely from outside of ourselves, even from Your Spirit. And so we lean upon Your Spirit. Fill us with Your Spirit that we might obey You, that we might also uh, grow in our love for You. Give us Your help, for we are weak, needy, and sinful people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.